My name, my name is Pilleter. I'm here with Cartrell Payne. Today is May the 11th, 2022. I'm here with Alex Goldstein. How's it going? I'm doing good. Good. Glad to be on with the guys. I, I don't think I've done a podcast in about six years, so I'm really excited to be back on the train with you guys. Awesome. Cartrell, how's everything going? Uh, not really much, you know, just hustling, trying to get to Northern California. Oh, yeah. So what has, what's has happened the last six years, Alex? Wow. I mean, I, I was on the Stark show with you in 2016. Uh, after I went to the NPI uh, conference in 2016, I took a break from podcasting. Um, and that was 2017. Then, then 2018, 2019 came around. I did some traveling, a lot of reading. Um, but around 2019, it seemed like coronavirus and uh, quarantine. Uh, the, on the podcast a lot, I talked about this thing called the perfect storm where feminism, gay rights, uh, Muslim immigration to Europe, wars in the Middle East, Black Lives Matter rioting. They had created a kind of intense right-wing reaction in the United States uh, that resulted in the alt-right, that resulted in um, white identitarianism becoming an aspect of conversation when it wasn't an aspect of conversation before these things uh, basically forced the white brain to hit the bubble, the white bubble to burst. Uh, now it seems like there's something different with coronavirus. It's like we've, we, alt-right happened, NPI happened, Trump happened, but then coronavirus happened. And it seems like we've been in this kind of incubation period for a long time, uh, which is kind of weird because I, it almost seems to me like years like 2016, 2017, 2018, that more happened in those years, that there was more activity, that there was more consciousness uh, than 2020, 2021, 2022, where it feels like we're kind of entering into a post-coronavirus state where it seems like we've done our reading, we know who we are, and we've been in these incubated zones with all this hyper-advanced technology for a couple of years. So like, you know, most white Westerners have spent a few years in a room with books and like tablets and streaming services. So I think we're like all ready to kind of climb out of uh, these coronavirus quarantine holes that we're in and like show our who we are to the rest of humanity. Mm. I think I think we're like forming into something new because of uh, quarantine. We had a lot of conflict, and then this has been a kind of respite from the conflict, and we're kind of turning into something new coming out of this. 
I think there's a lot of Nazbol energy in the air where people are basically becoming skeptical of the American empire. Uh, definitely, there seems to be some Biden hatred, and that means a hatred for anybody who's in a political position of power. And I think it's kind of moving away from like old style edgy conservatism. You still have the Nick Fuentes cloud crowd hanging on to that. But I think it's coming more, like you said, they read a lot of books, but they're going to be more articulate in theory and practice, more of an artistic discipline that may hold in the, in the, they have a thing they do. I mean, look at someone like Sam Hyde. He was really active in the alt-right for a bit. And now it seems like he's more or less a cultural figure. Like, yes, Sam Hyde is not hiding from the fact he's a white dude. He doesn't hide from the fact he's an Irish guy. But on the other side of things, he doesn't have to have his political agenda be a part of all the podcasting that he does. Sam Hyde is a celebrity. He's uh, going to become a boxer soon. He's focused on becoming a rapper. So that's what we're seeing moving into the future is that, yes, there was this period of political turmoil. You had a bunch of people become really active in this stuff. Then coronavirus happened and everyone went into their quarantine zones. And now we're going to see like a, a new kind of public figure come out of this where, yeah, like people were really hungry for white identity. They want like white dudes that are white that do white stuff and are celebrities and are okay with a normative kind of white nationalism. And yeah, that's what people want and that's what's going to happen so it's like a kind of white nationalism where yes like we're friends with Cartrell, we're friends with asian people we're friends with everyone but the white normative like patriarchal reality that all the black pillars were trying to manifest in 2016 it seems like we're going to move into something like that where we're going to be in a anti-pc normative white culture that's like white bros are in charge because that's what seemingly we've been asking for. We didn't like living through transgender chaos. We'd rather have normative white bros like be in charge of culture. Yeah, you know, like what you were, like what you guys were saying earlier with, you know, like dissident views, like me, myself, I consider myself, I guess you could say like a counter-revolutionary, like the Vindy or like you know, like the Christeros or something like that. Like very reactionary. Right, but are you, are you reactionary in, in, in what sense? Like what are you reacting to? Well I, could, well, I guess you could say against the American system. Like, I guess you could say I'm a royalist in the vein of like Charles A. Coulomb or- Right, right. So it's like for you, some, like, a move to monarchy would be preferable, you're skeptical of democracy? Well, yeah. Uh, That's probably a simplistic point of my views because I'm still forming my viewpoints and I think all political systems, even something like neoconservatism has something important to say, you know. Right, I mean, I I, I, I agree with that. I mean, I think- And I've been influenced by everything from neoconservatism to Ecofeminism, globalism, fascism, all the ideology right. to some degree, and I'm still forming my viewpoints. Right. I mean, you should always read and keep reading and keep thinking. And uh, as you read and think, you get to a point where 
it's hard to distinguish between ideologies. Uh, ultimately, I mean, is it really just like human beings with lists of propositions on sheets of paper and guns? And I mean, yeah, because, you, like, you know, oh, like, I like both the Rageaholic and Movie Bob, but I find like their over-partisanship annoying. Like, I can't stand like the basic bitch liberalism of Movie Bob, just like I can't stand like the, the wannabe tough guy stupidity of like the rageaholic right right it's more important for you to have someone who has nuanced views that isn't they're not doing a thing called gamifying that that's something that i've noticed you know after i after i left the political arena for a couple of years and just was a reader i started to understand this thing called gamification and it's the idea that that people make games of politics or they make games of life and that's something that you you see across the board. I mean, liberals do this, conservatives do this. Yeah, it's like a sports team, like, you know, like right. the, the 49ers versus the Raiders. It's like, who cares? Well, I mean, that's the thing about politics. A lot of the times it is in ways downstream from sports. So it becomes a contest of red team versus blue team. That's the way that people like to think. Uh, and yeah, that's troubling for intellectuals that your average person's like that. Uh, I think that you're, that the way the, the human brain thinks is, is usually binary. Humans think that they're on a side, more or less, that there's something that's closer to their side and there's a thing that's the other side. So when you get to that binary it's kind of easy to, to just get that that people do this, that people that 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 operate in rhetoric do this, and they make binary games of who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. Uh, and then when people don't do this, it's like difficult for a human to get that a person's not gamifying. So you know, like one could expect, oh well, like you know, you know, you turn on Crossfire back in the '90s and you see Pat Buchanan on there. And you're like, well, I know Pat Buchanan as a quote-unquote gamifier is someone who has paleoconservative views. Or, you know, you put on Tucker Carlson and, you know, Tucker Carlson as a quote-unquote gamifier is someone who's kind of like maybe post-neocon, maybe like a new right kind of guy. But you could think to yourself, well, I'm going to depend on Tucker to, for that kind of gamification. I'm going to depend on Pat Buchanan for that kind of gamification. We want people who are nuanced. We want people that are thinkers. But at the end of the day, what we are as beings is in a lot of ways gamified, gamified approaches to things. We develop a kind of um, rhetorical proof that becomes our identity. Like I know who Pat Buchanan is because Pat Buchanan responds to events in this fashion. Oh, Pat didn't respond like Pat this time around. Uh, you know, the other side of this is is seeing Pat Buchanan like someone who is, as Gilles Deleuze would say, rhizomatic. That Pat Buchanan could have any opinion on anything. But then you have to meet this other side of thinking that's gamification. That's, okay, when Pat talks, he's always gamified Pat. So, that I mean, that's kind of where, where I've been at with reading and thinking and... It is a pretty crazy place once you get to um, authorship, writing books, the idea, like 
the idea of of culture and politics. Yeah, and you know, yeah. Uh, oh, you know, like my, the thing uh, why I think that mo politics mostly doesn't appeal to normal people is because, well, let's be honest, it's boring. Like, like you know, like I would love it if there was like a counter, you know, revolutionary like Happy Meals toy or action figure or comic book or cartoon. I mean, let's face it, your average person doesn't give a fuck about politics because it's boring. Like nobody is watching C-SPAN, they're watching Cartoon Network and Nickelodeon. Nobody nobody gives a shit about what Reagan thinks about anything or ever did. Well, the alt, what, what, I think what the alt-right did uh, with Pepe, with things like Murdoch Murdoch, is make Trump in, into a cartoon. I think Trump became Cartoon Network. And I think that's what's what's different about the Biden era where things are, as you're saying, boring. The kind of like Clinton versus Trump battle that's an easy allegory for things like masculinity versus femininity, nationalism versus globalism. All of those easy allegories are out of the window and you're kind of in the tepid, uh, placid state of Biden where yeah, things are boring. So you're, you know, right. Like you're not in, there's, there's not like they can't stump, can't stump the Trump YouTube videos and uh, like cartoon series like Murdoch Murdoch that are making the political arena into a TV show like South Park. That's not happening. Or if it's happening, it's not happening at the scale it was in 2016. So yes, we are in that placid state again. We're in this boring normal state, but I think what you need to think about this boring normal state is how it is kind of what we were trying to manifest in 2016, where we did want to make a kind of amendment on cultural Marxism and reintroduce white normativity to the mainstream. And I think that's what we're living in. So if people are like, oh, this is boring. It's like, dude, this is what we wanted. We wanted white normativity. So if we're rolling our eyes and saying that white nationalism and white normativity is boring, it's like, well, that's what we were trying to manifest in 2016. So, I mean, yeah, yeah, you got a point because it's like to quote like an episode of the Boondocks, like when Huey criticized his grandpa, you know, for saying that he was there during the civil rights movement. And it's, you know, and Huey says, like, it seems like everybody who was around in the 60s want to claim they were some type of revolutionary. Like everybody wants to claim that, you know, that they were some type of badass. But, you know, like not everybody had like any type of bravery. Like, you know, a lot of people were cowards. Right. I mean, it's and it's hard to say, like, who's brave and who's a coward uh, uh, across the board. You know, sometimes like acts of bravery, you don't realize that they're heavily funded or that they're more like a theater production. Like Fed stuff, like the CIA is deliberately planning things like MKUltra. Well, I mean, how much of reality is just this thing called MKUltra? Like, if you think about, um, you know, I've never read Vallis. But it's like if you took that concept, the vast autonomous living, what, what is it? Um, it? The vast the autonomous living intelligence system. <laughs> the, the idea of like living in an organic ballast, it's kind of like that's what MKUltra sort of is. Like it's like it, uh, the matrix, but it's like organic and we live in it. Or, you know, it's like a serial experiments lane or paranoia agent. I mean, I, I know those animes, but I, I haven't seen them. But yes, I mean, what, I, what I'm kind of trying to write here is something that is like 
maybe a kind of Japan America where we have our Funko Pop Slipknot toys and our uh, Funko Pop Freddy Kruegers. And like, we're really excited to like, you know, go get the Travis Scott meal from McDonald's. I did that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, that's part of like living in the MK Ultra simulation is when you know consumer happy soy boy stuff is a part of your main reality it's a part of like a wagner series of uh right 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 it's it, right exactly like the it's like the ring cycle but it's like wendy's burger king and mcdonald's yeah, yeah or you know like uh abc's you know back in that day abc had like what was it like what was it trl like thursday or something like oh was- total request live no it was like ABC had like this whole programming block where they would show like these generic sitcoms like Family Matters and. and oh, right. Like the ABC sitcom block. Where, right, right. Yeah, and step by step and stuff like that. Oh, I remember watching those shows when I was a kid. I mean, they were a big deal. Like Full House was a really big deal. Man, that show was so unrealistic. Like, even back in the day, you couldn't afford a big house like that in San Francisco with all those kids. Like, you be, have to be a millionaire. I mean, that, that show was kind of the reference point for, like, normativity. Every, like, little girl wanted to be American and Ashley. Yeah. That's the whole thing. I mean, you can complain about the MKUltra simulation grid, but it's, like, what you know with other people. You know, books, music, movies, food. That's the kind of like, in, uh, like interchangeable, like that's like the currency that we use for culture. TV, movies, that's cult. That's like you go to a bar, you hang out with people. That's the currency of culture is just talking about this stuff. Yeah, it sounds kind of like um, the R.A. Lafferty book, you know, what was it called? Something is Green. But you should check out Ari Lafferty. Like he was like this weird Oklahoma Arthur. Was he was he saying the grass is green? No, no. The the name of his book was called The Flame Is Green. It was like this oh, okay. counter-revolutionary, like reactionary kids book with science fiction and fantasy themes. Interesting. Well, it's the postmodern condition where the heroic is now the crass consumerism of McDonald patties or assuming that Zuka Joe bubblegum wrappers tell you good enough wisdom like Aristotle would tell you, something that Dom DeLillo noticed in White Noise and kind of that accumulation of that. And so if the gamification theory is that that seems to be more of a, a problem or just a part of the reality that has to be broken through and or and so like the pepe and the crass white nationalist stuff of entering pop culture that's some kind of uh side effects of that postmodern condition that's happening and we're kind of in that kind of post period of that where um how much of that narrative can be applied that can we really say that uh uh you know like uh, McDonald's is just as good as any other, you know, the, I, I used to, I had this mocking term where that, that the transgressive nature of that was like fast food fascism or something like that, where the golden arches are just as bad as the swastika. If there's a, there, you know, a 3000 year kingdom, then I guess the golden arches want to give us welfare with big Macs everywhere. And that's a version of what it means to be a, a liberated American. So I, I don't right. know. I mean, 
it, at that point it becomes like a kind of um it almost seems like it's like Julius Evola like writing about civilizations and then you hit a point where you're writing about the civilization that you live in now and you're writing about things like fast food I mean Julius Evola wrote about things like fast food you could find um essays from the 1970s where Julius Evola is talking about America and um critiquing modern American society but that's you know, that's this this thing about literature, about like the heightened culture that's more important. The John Updike kind of ordeal of the AP market trying to- Right, like, in, like, in, like fancier white people, like, right, like, what, like the literature that they read. It's this thing that kind of avoids Walmart, McDonald's, Burger King. Like that, we were getting at this before. It's like that kind of stuff is kind of more or less reality. Like the, you know, and I've said this before in the Stark Truth, and I got in, I got in trouble for saying this. Like that, Walmart is essentially nature. I mean, we're the, we're a form of ape humans, and we live in a kind of simulation of these representational objects that we've made, representational objects of Sonic the Hedgehog, representational objects like Mario, um, like you know Ronald McDonald. You got interesting theories. Like, I mean, it sounds to me like you either did DMT while watching, like the, the while watching like a Burger King commercial, or you walked in a Walmart's while high on mushrooms. Right, right, right. Well, I mean, like DMT is a part of your brain, so like you release DMT, you make DMT. Like when you're dreaming, that's DMT. It's dimethyltryptamine um that's the dream stuff so like yes like we are we are t we are totally true like on a psychedelic trip moving through um waves of consumerism you know and it's just like i'm holding out to get to anti-monetarism to where we can just live in fun like hippie fun land and just get all the stuff for free once the robots are all making it for us or dream world Dream world, yeah. Like we have to kind of break humanity and get to dream world because our conscious. I mean, because now it's like when I'm on Star Truth in 2016, and I'm telling everybody, you know, don't take acid, take the sailor pill. You know, you're better off not doing drugs. You're better off just getting a job. 2022, Alex is way more on his Odinism is way more like a morphic field in coronavirus linking up to other morphic fields you know the idea of like cytoscopes cyto cytoskeletons right cytoskeletons but like right telepathy the idea of like like my cytoskeletons are in your brain cartrell cytoskeletons are in my brain we're all like these telepathic squids talking to each other that are like atemporal and are immortal and the human state is just part of us. Like, yes, that like- It's the whole object orientology. Object oriented ontology, yeah, the writings of Timothy Morton. Morton. That right, yeah, being in like, right. But then go back, Martin Heidegger, Dasein loops. So the, and then this even seems like YouTube manifesting where it's things that are just big on the concept of you and that you make your life. Neville Goddard had all the writing on this, uh, everyone's you pushed out. So it's like, it's kind of like you start out on the internet 
you get you take the pills you take the red pill you're you're fed the counter-revolutionary rhetoric you know about this kind of fight that you have to partake in but as time moves on after taking the pills that fight becomes ragnarok because you don't realize that you're actually thor now like we're just some kid taking the pills online 2016 but now in 2022 you're thor man that's some heavy stuff yeah because that's the thing it's like you don't just read plato you don't just read heidegger you partake in uh socrates as the noose as the rational aspect of the mind that is engaging in uh alcibiades denying plato's comfort too and then alcibiades is doing his own thing as a general to rule over the world and to putting it into praxis and action well i mean alcibiades um right if i had to like you know i have like Socrates' books in my room, if I had to think about, like, um, you know, the what the arguments that Socrates had with Euthyphro, with Crito, with Thrasymachus, um, you know, the arguments of Glaucon, you could think about all the arguments that Socrates has, but the arguments that he has, they're not arguments that are that are immediately settled. When, when Plato's arguing about fighting, when he's arguing about piety, when he's arguing about music, it's not like him and Thrasymachus come to immediate conclusion. It's not like him and Glaucon come to an immediate conclusion about music. Uh, it's the idea of aletheia. It's the idea of revelation, of revelatory thinking. And that's what truly what logos is. So like, we're younger people. We encounter these books. We encounter the pills online. But if you really engage with literature as a reader and you don't engage with literature as someone who's just trying to get take get points and just have more, you know, books on their MySpace book list, you get to the point that reading is actually telling you this story about consciousness and manifestation and that that's what life actually is. It's the human being is born he realizes that his mind stuff is magical, that it's the Holy Spirit, that it can make reality. And he gets older and he becomes a God. So, you know, we all start off in this weird internet space, reading these books, taking this stuff in. But what you have to realize is, is that outside of any kind of weirdness with the political movements is that it's about the thing called you, what Martin Heidegger called Dasein. And that when Dasein engages in a fight that, and holds onto the thumos within the fight, that Dasein will over time become a god. So like what in the beginning was like jokes about Thor or posting Pepe become in 2022, it's like we are Odin and Thor in Valhalla talking about the future of civilization. It's just like, is it still gonna be guys reading books, eating food and you know, you know, trading comics? And it's like, yeah, it will be. And I think it's what we're gonna have forever. I think this is what civilization is. Well, it's more like you're putting it in a way where we each have a narrative in life and our narrative is like this kind of blank slate, but through our own accumulation, once we get older or become the adult, we are gods in a way that we can show our power without any rules putting us behind. And I think that's a magical part too. And that's like the artist becoming something without restrictions 
or anything like that. Right. How I think, but manifesting something of a character you become. Yeah, no, completely. And I mean, I think if you look at the alt-right and you see how Richard Spencer was doing that, how he was creating a character and manifesting a character to be a kind of in interface for reading right-wing content, I think Giorgiani has done a good job of becoming a kind of character to be a guide through understanding, uh, you know, what the whole UFO thing is, revealed religion, all of that. Giorgiani has been very, um, he's been really good at pulling apart the whole weird thing, but he's made a kind of character. Um, that's what you have to do. I think you guys do the same thing, but it's like part of that, that's the God. It's like when you see Giorgiani do interviews online and you see him with the amount of finesse he has, pick apart um, the, the reality of flying saucers and this whole thing, you're like, well, this guy sounds like he's an avatar of the god Hermes. And he even looks like him to a degree. And you're like, yeah, that's what we kind of do in life. We really just become gods as we kind of, as we destroy these hyper objects that are around us. Yeah, the hyper object thing, I'm still trying to wrap around as that's one of Tim Morton's book about how that right. our gamification and whatnot. Well, Timothy Morton has a book called Hyper Objects, but he writes about hyper objects in pretty much all of his books. Um, hyper objects are, it's, it's hard to define the hyper object because it is something that has, it, in, in, in and of its own understanding, a changing definition. You could think about, uh, it's, it's almost in ways a reflection of the Kantian thing in itself. You could think about a car as an object, but then you could think about a car as a hyper object. So there's a car as an object would be, oh, well, there's like a, that vehicle that we use for transportation that has four wheels and we use that to drive around. That's a car as an object. But the car as a hyper object is the transportation vehicle, but it's also the emotional reality attached to the car. It's also the historical reality attached to the car. It's also the scientific, uh, philosophical re uh, reality attached to the car. Yeah, ideological. Right. So, so it's the idea that, you know, from Immanuel Kant's writing that, there, that objects have a thing in themselves that, that we don't see through our sense, through our empirical senses. We don't th see the thing in itself, but it's present. So in a way, the hyper object is kind of like a... Um, like a form of the thing in itself. It's, it's like the thing in itself in causality. It's like there's a car and then there's the hyper object of the car. We won't be able to perceive the thing in itself. We know the hyper object. And that's kind of what we're evolving to in conversation is that we're kind of like getting over the part of conversation that's just like delineating objects and saying, well, that's this, that's that we're moving into a conversation about hyper objects where we're kind of like in an, in a state of being that's very quote unquote post. So if this has been going on since the sixties or before that, even, you know, if it's going on, if it's happening from the twenties, if it's, ha if it's an immortal thing that human beings do, that we get, that we have objects, we get to a point of understanding with them. We're like, okay, we kind of get it. Cool. Now it's like we're gods in emanating post-understanding. 
it's like there's parts where we're smart we think we're smart we think we know everything and then we're like wait a second we're just gods in a dream we're just gods in mind stuff and then we're just manifesting our lives again in a dream we understood the properties of the hyper object the object is just as important as any other human living being and uh, we see the hyper objects as having not only its ideological motivation but some kind of harmony in not only in the arts but this kind of way of understanding the world that's what i'm trying to figure out with hyper objects yeah yeah i mean that that would be the way of like taking in hyper objects that would be really pragmatic it's like oh, a way that we, we could all sort of think that we're smarter than we are. I mean, as we move into AI, as yeah. we move into AI, it's like, you know, are human beings going to basically just be button pushers that have really smart robots that do everything for us? And I'm like, I'm saying this before that's going to happen. So yeah. it's like, yes, everything is kind of like a critical evaluation of the thing that's not really the thing because the robot's doing the thing. And we're kind of like our post-ironic hipsters just hanging out, having fun in the AI droid reality that we've made in our, with our minds. That's dream world. And it's like, yes, that's actually possible. The only question is, did human beings do this 10,000 years ago? You know, because you can look up the, the, the Satya Yuga. Did we live in a golden age in India where we were, where we were flying UFOs around? We were flying saucers around, Vimanas. They were called Vimanas. That brings up the whole Eric Von Daniken kind of Jesus was a time shifting alien. If that was the case, maybe it might show a bigger reality about the world. About right? Was there a bigger like? Right? Do do did we live in something that was like Dinotopia? Like the, and and that's the whole idea of hype of hyper object, uh, uh, kind of analysis. The idea of like I'm a person. I'm stupid. I don't know. So if we look at uh, you know footprint fossils and and we can see hu uh, actual human footprints next to dinosaur footprints and the carbon dating can say that they are from the same time period does that throw a wrench in the idea that human beings did not live with dinosaurs mm. so it's like okay we're human beings like did we live in some like hybrid of the jetsons and the flintstones where we were like, like in UFOs flying around with talking dinosaurs. Mm. And, and then we like, we just like kind of dropped a bomb on that. Or like Martians blew that up. And then like they colonized Earth. And in a way it's kind of like, well, within object oriented ontology, and especially if the work of Morton, if you're a deep ecologist and believe that all existing beings should coexist peacefully together, you also believe computers should also coexist right. peacefully, that there shouldn't be this evil Skynet AI that kills all of humanity. You should make peace with the object or the non-human thing. Right, right, right. Thing. I mean, and part of that would, would, would be things like seeing your computer as being you then. That, that like francis as a hyper object so like there's the object of francis that's his body but then there's the hyper object of francis that's like francis as rhetoric francis as memory in cartrell and alex's brain so it's like if you're a hyper object and you're not just your body then you could also be data and like uh, like a thought stream in a supercomputer mm -hmm. so that's like there's another that's like we're reaching a, a singularity we're reaching a technological singularity 
where we are in what I call docile evolution, where human beings are actually transcending the human state. The only question is, have we done this before? And I think that we actually have done this before, thousands of years ago, or you know, hundreds of hundreds of thousands of years ago, if not millions of years ago. I mean, human beings could actually be billions of years old, and have could have had access to advanced technology for billions of years, and also a, a further line of of flight to take here is the idea that human beings are gods and human beings have always been consciously manifesting this reality so there's you know the the jump from the object to the hyper object the jump from the object that is you know just impure based off empirical understanding to an object that exists in dreamlike dialethia that is a god yes that is the that is the future of evolution and I suggest we walk with that future.